Once again, it's good to be in the house of God. And to know that he's here and that he's here ready to serve, to bless and touch each one of us. And I'm so grateful for that. Just have a couple of thank yous that I want to extend. I want to thank all of you for the special blessing you gave us retired ministers last Sunday. It, uh, I know Lynn put it in the bulletin, but I just wanted to say on behalf of of uh, those of us that have not been in active service for a few years, thank you so very, very much. And I also wanted to thank the uh, those in the sound booth uh, ahead of time, because they're the ones that put up the scriptures, and they're the ones that control so many things, and I just want to thank them for their service. I've had the opportunity of listening to a few other churches that uh, some of them much bigger than ours who would pay high money if they could get our sound team in their church. I'm just so grateful for what they do. And most of all, I'm grateful for our pastor. Uh, and I know he's uh, <clears throat> serving the Lord this morning, filling the pulpit in Estevan where they don't have a pastor right now, and I'm just glad that he's able to do that. And this morning, I just have a sense that God wants to do something special, but not through me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's here, and he's here to minister to each of us as we open our hearts to him. As I look over the congregation, I know there are some of you that don't know me, well, just to put it in short, I've been around a long time, <laughs> preached a long time, but I've never preached the message I'm preaching this morning. And uh, so I need your prayer. And I believe the Lord really laid it on my heart. Even prior to when Pastor asked me to speak, I was dealing with uh, some situations in my life and praying and uh, reading and this thought came, and I thought, now that would make a good sermon if I get a chance. And about a week later, the pastor called and said he was going to be away. Would I fill the pulpit? And I was happy to say yes, because I believe that God wants to do something special in each of our lives today. Shall we pray? Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your power. I need your presence. I need your anointing. Not just for me, but, Father, for each one in this assembly, for each one that's listening online. Thank you for each of them. Some of them I know are not well. May the healing power of God touch them today and raise them up. But, Father, let your name be glorified this morning. And I'll give you praise and honor, thanking you in advance for what you're going to do. In Christ's precious name, amen. There is a story told of an elderly gentleman that was ranting at his family, and he said, I've lived for over 70 years, and I've never seen hell, and I don't believe there is one. In fact, I declare there is no hell. He was kind of taken up short by his seven-year-old grandson, who said, Granddaddy, have you ever been dead yet? This morning I want to talk about hell. 
It's a biblical truth, one Jesus spent a good deal of time dealing with because he loved people, he had compassion for them, and he kept putting up warning signs all along. But my message is not going to deal with the doctrine of hell. I simply want to point out to you that there are some things that are not in hell that are in heaven. And so I've titled my message simply, Some Things Hell Cannot Afford, But Heaven Can. And I'd like us to read the story, or at least part of it, of the rich man and Lazarus found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 25. Now, many of these people call this a parable, but I believe that it was a real story because Jesus said there was a certain rich man. And I think he's talking about an actual situation who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who lay at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these, this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise uh, Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf so that those who would want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Before we look at this, I just want to remind you that Jesus is not trying to say that the rich man was in hell because he was rich. The rich man was in hell because he, like his brothers, and had we read the rest of the story, he, like his brothers, had ignored the prophets and Moses, in other words, the Old Testament. They hadn't read the scriptures. They hadn't allowed them to be the guide for them. And so as a result, they had made choices that led to where the rich man was. Most times when we think of hell, we think of fire, as is mentioned here, and also in Revelation 20, where it talks of the great white throne judgment. But here we notice, and I think there are things that are worse than fire. So let's look at verse 22 again. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the, or that, Yes, the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. But the rich man died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. It doesn't say that it was being tor tormented. It's plural. He was facing torments. I don't know what they were. I don't know what the plural means. But it could have been a tormented conscience tormented mind, a tormented body, a tormented appetite, a tormented sight. 
But being in torments, he lifted up his eyes and called out to Abraham, Have mercy. Just send Lazarus to dip his finger and touch my tongue with one single drop of water. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us the whole story. But I think, first of all, we want to keep in mind that heaven or hell cannot afford water. He doesn't tell us the whole story. The rich man probably drank the finest wines and the best possible drinks that were available. We don't even, aren't even told what Lazarus drank, but we know that he was happy to just eat the table scraps that would have normally been fed to the dogs. Hell can't buy water. There's no bubbling streams. There's no flowing brooks. There's no water system like our city has in hell. But that's not the way it is in heaven. God has made provision for water. And I like, I was reading the book of Ezekiel, and in the last few chapters, he's talking about the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign after Christ comes back. You have the rapture, seven years, I believe, of great tribulation, and then I believe the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then at the end of that time, it says in Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 47, it talks about the water flowing through the land coming out from the temple. And I like the way he describes it. This is God providing water. Remember back in the, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and there was no water and Moses struck the rock? Can you imagine the flow of water? It wasn't just a little stream. It was enough water to care for two million people plus their livestock. What a gush must have come out of that. And here Ezekiel sees from the temple water coming out under the doorpost and around the, the foundation and the water is flowing. And he said, I, the man took me, the one that was leading me, and I stepped into the water, it was ankle deep. And then I stepped a little farther, in fact, about 100 meters, and it was knee deep. Another 100 meters, it was waist deep. And another 100 meters, I had to swim because God was providing water. And when we get to the new Jerusalem, it's even going to be better. For we find there in Revelation 21 and 1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is uh, when the, the, God brings heaven and earth together. And uh, the old had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And now let's jump to 22 verses 1 through 4. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the stream and there on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit in its season. And the leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. And there was no curse and we could go on. <laughs> Excuse me, but in the new Jerusalem, in heaven, God is going to supply all the water 
you need. You'll never have dry lips. Those of you that walk around with those little dumb little sticks, I see, 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 see. You're not going to need those in heaven. And like me right now, a parched throat, you know, I'm not going to have that in heaven. God is going to supply all that we need. Heaven can't aff- can afford anything that hell cannot because God has made provision for us right now for time as well as for eternity. I've got news for you. Hell can't afford light. There's not a light in hell. Heaven is eternal day. Hell is eternal night. The brightness of hope is gone. The light of God's love is gone. Hell possesses eternal, immense darkness like the world has never known. Multiplied many times by what happened to the Egyptians when Pharaoh refused to let the people go. But in the ninth plague, we're told... In Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness that may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another. They did not rise from the place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. In Matthew 8, Jesus tells us, verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom, that is the sons of darkness, will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you grasp? The concept of such darkness. The Egyptians couldn't see their hand in front of their face. They couldn't see anything. They sat still for three days. Total fear and petrified. Because had they moved, they would have injured themselves. What darkness. But the darkness that is going to grip hell is intense beyond imagination. My oldest brother lost a son in a car accident. And he didn't think his son was living for God, and I don't know whether he was or not. But he believed that he went to hell. My oldest brother told me, I want to go to hell because Dennis is there and I want to see him. I got good news. Three months before he passed away, I was able to tell him and convince him that he could put his trust in Jesus, and he did. But, oh, what a hope. Go to hell to see your family. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to see your family. You're not going to see your buddy that drinks with you. You're not going to see your, in your partner that caroused with you. Darkness is going to hold you in a fetter. 
that you cannot escape. But heaven's different. Oh, hallelujah. Revelation chapter 22. It said there, but there shall be no night there. There's no need of a lamp for no light of the sun. For God himself will give them light. They shall reign with him. Think of it. Beautiful, wonderful, liberating light. No more midnight nightmares. No more midnight cramps. No more midnight Charlie horses. No more midnight wondering when morning is going to come because you can't get to sleep. But the light of heaven is going to be there for eternity. Oh, hallelujah. There is no sunrise and no sunset because God is your light and his presence is going to fill you. But then Jesus went on to say that it will be more than just light, but also life. A number of years ago when we pastored in Saskatoon and Ray Wall was your pastor here when the church was still over on 4th, I came down to conduct one of your business meetings, and that night I spent the night, my wife and I, at Ray's house. He'd bought a house. I'm not sure whether it was on Athol and Fifth, but in that neighborhood. It was a two-story building, and we went up to bed on the second floor. And uh, even back then, it was not uncommon for me to decide that I needed to get up and take a short walk in the middle of the night. And so as before I got in bed, I looked around. The door was there. The light switch was there. The dresser was here. And I was set. Well, I went to sleep, woke up about 3 in the morning, and there was not a crack of light anywhere in that room. I don't know whether they'd shut off the street lights or if there was none in the area, but it was absolutely black. And do you know what? While I was sleeping... Somebody moved the door. <laughs> and they hid the light, the light switches. And I was groping around the wall and was, came as close as I've ever come to having a panic attack. And I made up my mind that I was not going to travel again without a night light that I could plug in wherever I was. Now, I did find the door... Fortunately, and in time, fortunately. <laughs> but you know what? In heaven, we're not going to need any night lights. The presence of God's almighty power is going to fill us and keep us in the hollow of his hand. Some things will be missing. There will be no night. There'll be no sun, but the presence of Jesus Christ is going to be there to keep us. It's true that hell cannot afford water, they can't afford light, but neither can they afford money. You see, in hell there's no medium of barter, no medium of trade. The best the inhabitants can hope for is that they can beg. 
When the rich man drew his last breath, all his wealth was left behind, and he went to hell a pauper. But when Lazarus drew his last breath, the angels were waiting to escort him into the presence of Abraham or heaven. He was a pauper and a beggar here, but all of the wealth of heaven became his in that moment. The rich man, the best he could do, he had no money, he couldn't barter, he had nothing to trade, and he couldn't have traded if he wanted because he didn't know where anybody was. All he could hear was the gnashing of teeth. And the flickering of fire, flames around him. But he had nothing to trade. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Not only was bank, hell bankrupt, so was the rich man. And so will be everyone who goes there. But all oh, the Bible paints a different picture of heaven. And you know what? Whether we have accumulated wealth here or not, there's something we could do. We could lay up treasure in heaven. Notice what it says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus does not suggest that we not have adequate. He doesn't suggest that wealth is wrong. And I have known some very wealthy people that love God, serve God, and use their wealth for God's glory. So it's not anti-wealth. And please understand that. But what's important is that the, you and I, right now, today, we can begin laying up treasures in heaven. The rich man laid up treasures in earth and he left them behind. But you and I can lay up treasures in heaven that will last for eternity. But you know what the good part is? It isn't just our treasures. It's all that God has provided for us over and above what we have done because of everything that he has done. In heaven, or in Revelation 21, we're told that the New Jerusalem, its walls are jasper. Its foundation are 12 precious stones. In chapter 21, verse 21, it said the 12 gates were 12 gates of pearl. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Can you comprehend that? Now, I have never bought my wife a string of pearls. Not that I wouldn't have liked to, but I've never had that opportunity nor the resources to do it. But can you, some of you have, so good for you. And, and that's great. And, but... Can you, can you picture just, and I don't know how many pearls there are on a string, no idea, a dozen, two dozen. 
but you can hold all of them in your hand. And I have no idea even what it costs, but it's quite a bit, I understand. But compare that to a double gate or a single gate on the side of the New Jerusalem that's going to open and allow hundreds and thousands of believers moving in and out. I don't know how big the gate is. Maybe if I read the scripture more closely and understand it better, I could tell you. But even if the gate was 12 feet wide and 12 feet high and one pearl, well, I'm going to ask you a silly question because how big do you think the oyster was? (laughs) But God made it. There's nothing in heaven that's pauper size. Everything is great and wonderful. But you know, as totally as hell is bankrupt and can't afford a drop of water or a ray of light or any money, I've got news for you. The heaven we're looking forward to can be enjoyed right now because we're in the preparation of making preparation to go there. And God wouldn't want us to go just empty-handed. We can go and be filled with his presence right now. Hell might be bankrupt, but God isn't. And you and I can enjoy the things of God today in preparation for tomorrow. Notice what it said in John chapter 7, verses 7 through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when you come to the presence of Jesus Christ and bow before him and invite him into your heart, the Holy Spirit fills your life. And he refers to it as a a river flowing out. Are you letting the river flow out from you this morning? Are you letting the presence of God direct your thoughts in your life? It isn't just when we come to church. But every day God wants to touch us and direct us and guide us. And I'm just simple-minded enough to believe that God can help us in everyday events. Help us raise our kids. Many, many times Phyllis and I didn't know which way to turn. There were six kids that could keep you busy. But many times, God just simply showed us the direction we should go. They didn't all turn out to serve the Lord the way we would have liked them to, but we're still praying for some of them. God helps us, whether it's raising our family, whether it's making a decision what job we should take, whether it's making a decision or what spouse we should take. 
That isn't just trial and error, by the way. Sometimes we do try and err. I dated a young lady when I was in high school, and I thought she was going to be my partner for life. But she decided she wanted to do something different than be a pastor's wife. I was disappointed, of course. But the most disappointing part was that she chose not to follow God. Died, to the best of my knowledge, an alcoholic. But God was saving a special lady for me. And I found her in Windsor, and as soon as she asked me to marry her, I said I would. (laughs) I didn't say that, did I? (laughs) You see, God has a plan for each of our lives. And if we allow that Holy Spirit to prepare us and work through us and guide us, he can lead us. There have been a few times that I have not listened to the Spirit. And I could spend the next two or three hours telling you how things turned out. They were not well. But oh, when I've listened to that prompting in my heart, how different it's been. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, it said, People who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light is shining. What a prophecy. Listen to Jesus in John eight twelve, And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Not just light, but life. God puts a fuller meaning on it by telling us that there's light with it as well. So God will provide water, not just physical water that we need for our daily sustenance, but spiritual water as well. He'll provide light to guide us and direct us. But you know what? He'll meet every need. We are not bankrupt, even in this life. In Philippians 4, 9, Paul writing said, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Being a Christian today is a guarantee that your needs will be met. Doesn't say your wants. Doesn't say all your dreams. But it says what you need and how true that is. Well, those of you that know me know that eventually And Kay mentioned this last Sunday in her tribute. Thank you, Kay. I'm going to get to Ephesians. (laughs) In Ephesians chapter 1, a promise that's tremendous. Verses 1 through 3. And I could read the whole book. You know, I, well, let's just start here. (laughs) Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
I could preach a whole sermon on God's will for your life. He has one. To the saints that are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Two more sermons. The saints are those that have come to Christ and have been transformed by the power of God into living eternal creatures with Jesus Christ. Your sainthood doesn't come from the Pope. Your sainthood comes from the redeeming power of Jesus Christ when you bow at the cross and invite him into your life. You become a saint. But then he says to the faithful, God does the work of making you a saint. You do the responsibility, have the responsibility of being faithful. Leona, you're an inspiration to all of us. If anybody had an excuse, those of you who don't know Leona, she's the one in the power chair back there. She's been in one for a few years. If she'd have an excuse to stay home from church, I'm sure she would. But she's here every Sunday. Faithful, faithful, faithful. God bless you. Oh, to be faithful. And then he goes on. That's who he's writing to. Those who have been sanctified, those who have been faithful. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father our Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the verse I want to get to. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, and other translations say, all spiritual blessings in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. What do you need spiritually this morning? Do you need salvation? Are you one that if you were to write If I were to ask you to take out a sheet of paper and write on there your mailing address after you drew your last breath, what would you write? Heaven? Or would you have to write hell? If you have to write hell, I would invite you to invite Jesus into your heart this morning and change your address for eternity. All spiritual blessings. Do you need deliverance? Do you need healing? Do you need peace that passeth all understanding? All spirit, I cannot grasp it. I'll be honest, I cannot get it around my head. Everything that God has provided for us right now in all spiritual blessings in heaven, because each one of us are different. Each one of us are different. Each one of us have different needs. But my God, is able to supply those needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Hell may be bankrupt, but heaven isn't. And neither are we who live in Christ. We can serve him, we can invite him into our lives, and we can anticipate his glory. Paul goes on, as a believer, the first thing he says is that we will sit in heavenly places with Christ. Or in his heavenly kingdom. Right now we can sit with Christ. Rest in him. Trust him. Then he says we're to walk. In Christ's footsteps. This is in Ephesians. And then he says to stand firm. Fight the battles of life. By the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you. We are such a privileged people. We're not bankrupt. We're not shortchanged. Heaven doesn't have a padlock on its blessings, but they're open for all of us to receive right now. There are some things hell can't afford. 
But heaven can. And in between, we can be in preparation for eternity. Worship team, please come. I don't know everyone here this morning. But I know the Holy Spirit does. And if you're here today and you came, maybe you even wondered why you came. But you came and your heart's not right with God. And he's spoken to you this morning. I would invite you to invite Jesus into your heart as we have a closing prayer in just a moment. If you're here and you have a need, the worship, the, the prayer team is going to be here in a moment. And you would like to come. Even if you open your heart and invite Jesus, please come and talk to the worship team or to the prayer team. God is here this morning. I can sense his presence. And he's here to meet your need, to enrich your life, and to prepare you for heaven's best. Father, I pray right now that as you speak to hearts, you'll draw them to yourself, fill their lives with your power, prepare them for glory. May this week be a week where they will rejoice and be refreshed in the power of your presence. And know that everything that you have planned for us for eternity, we can begin to sample right now as we walk through this life. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your presence. Father, touch each one of us. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Prayer team will come. Worship singers are going to lead us again. God bless.